Welcome to Average Joe. My guest today is Sarah, who is who I met recently and not only has inspired me, just as kind of um, with her presence and who she is, as I'm getting to know more, but also has built uh, a beautiful company, uh, a project, which I think has sort of been like her baby in a way, Cottonflower Clothing. So we'll get into that and discuss that journey. But I think to sort of start, Sarah, I want to just paint kind of um, a bird's eye view, sort of a view. So if you had to distill yourself, Sarah, into the high concept of who you are into two or three sentences, what would you say, Sarah? I would say, <clears throat> I thought about this um, ahead of time. So I wrote it down, I'm gonna read it. One who is victorious through all challenge and adversity because she keeps faith in her life being guided toward the highest purpose for her soul and the collective. Oh, there's two sentences. There's always a way through and a way to rise in every situation. Wow, I love that. (laughs) I think that would be an amazing sort of true north for this episode. that actually dovetails really well into the next sort of question about you I was just going to ask, which is still kind of the high concept, is just right out of the gate, what would you say is sort of your personal mission, you know, why you're here on earth? Yes. My mission is totally guided by my own journey. And so my mission is to heal myself, which looks like um, not following any cultural norms necessarily, but really allowing myself to express uniquely from within in this life and to help others do that for themselves as well. Yeah. Okay, this is great. I'm very excited to unpack and pull these strings. And and that, I think, gives you know, everyone kind of a context for, for at, at a very high level, sort of who you are. So I want to describe to the people listening sort of where we are for a couple of reasons. One, because this is my first podcast episode where I've done it outside my own little room makeshift studio, so it's fun. We're in the woods in Sebastopol, of course, Northern California, West County, Sonoma County. And tell, tell me and the audience a little bit about this space we're in, Sarah. So we're in Angelica. It's my micro home that I made um, three and a half years ago. Four years ago now is when I started. And it's a former military base ambulance that I converted into my bedroom so that I could freely live and explore um, where I wanted to plant my roots. Yeah, and just for to kind of give people the sort of visual of what it looks like. It looks like this incredible, sort of almost refurbished, remodeled. You almost wouldn't know it's an ambulance unless you were told that, but it, it has this powerful energy. And certainly in in my journey, you know, having experienced ambulances before, there's something very powerful about coming in here to create something. It almost feels like a like a reconditioning of like an old, you know, because we all associate ambulance with, you know, crisis and, <laughs> and, and, you know, being sick. And so I love that you have lived in this vessel 
and explored your own journey through it. So I'll definitely ask you more about that. But I think also at the outset for people listening, I want to get into cotton flower up front right away first as well. And first, tell 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 me what is cotton flower and how you created it. Um, I know it's a clothing company and a clothing mm-hmm. brand, but that's that that's a unique journey that a lot of people haven't had. Um, how did you birth it? What is it now, and what yeah. is it? Well, mm, I'll just start off by saying cotton flower has been totally guided from the beginning, and you'll see through the story why I believe that. Um, but how it came to be in my own mind to start off with is I was, well, yeah, I'll say it was, <laughs> I was really into yoga. Um, like how many years ago now? Probably like 2014. So about six or seven years ago was when I, when Cottonflower started and, um, Back then, everybody doing yoga, all the yoga clothing was synthetic. It was spandex. It was really tight, tight tops where you can't expand your rib cage. You know, sitting in meditation with leggings on, just with your crotch open, like, didn't make any sense to me. It wasn't comfortable. My body couldn't, my skin couldn't breathe. My body felt restricted. And I thought, this is totally illogical, doesn't make any sense. And I wasn't trying to start a company. I wasn't like, I want a clothing brand. I didn't really see that for myself. I just knew that that didn't make sense. And at the same time, I was soul searching. I really like, I'd hit my Saturn return. I hadn't had any kind of significant career whatsoever, was on a spiritual path for sure, doing lots of yoga and meditation and all the different kinds of things to try and see what would work to open me up and help me discover who I am. And I ended up going to India. And there I I went to a yoga school and I had been there three times. But my third time there, I got really sick, really sick, like the sickest I've ever been in my life. A respiratory infection and When I was there, I remember looking in the mirror in my room and seeing myself as an old woman, just gray hair, like I was just aging my life away, just, just consuming, consuming for myself, doing yoga, like not creating anything. I was feeling worthless. And I, I thought I'm sick because of this, because I'm stagnant. And I knew I had to leave that place. And the safe place for me was Thailand. And it was one airplane right away. So I got myself to the airport, like totally sick, you know, just getting through. And I got to Thailand and everything is easy in Thailand. I went and rented a bungalow and I just stayed there for two weeks and healed. And when I would come out and go for little strolls, I kept on running into this trio, um, an older woman with gray hair, pixie cut and two younger guys with her. And they were insistent on being my friend. They just kept inviting me over to their hotel to go to the pool. And I was like, no, 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 I'm sick. (laughs) Like, (laughs) leave me alone. And, but they were so jovial. Finally, 
I told the older woman, okay, I'll go have a meal with you. Um, and we decided to do that in a different town later on. So I went to that other town and um, I was walking around the streets and I found the perfect yoga clothing material basically in this town. I was like, it hit me, this is it. This is what yoga clothes should be made out of. It's breathable, it's lightweight, it's natural, it's from the earth. Um, and the reason why that connection to the earth was so important for me in yoga is because that's my, <laughs> that's what I was worshiping basically is the natural world, just making my whole body a, a, an expression of gratitude to the earth and to nature. And so I wanted to be clothed in nature as well when I did that. And so I bought some pieces of clothing made of this material. I was practicing yoga. I was just in love and I just felt this strong uh, weight, I guess I could call it a weight, like this presence that was telling me, you have to bring this back. You have to, you know, so many people who want this clothing. And so I was like kind of burdened by it at first. I wasn't excited. I felt like I had to do it and I wanted to do it, but I was scared. I didn't know how I had already spent all of my money. I had like maybe a few hundred dollars left. Yeah. And I didn't know how to do it. You know, how do I get clothes made? Like no clue. Right. So I'm just walking around holding this idea. And so then the evening comes for me to go out to dinner with the woman with the pixie cut, the gray hair. So we go out to eat and we're talking and we get to the subject of me divulging to her. I found this material. I feel like I need to bring it back. I don't know what to do. And she, <laughs> she tells me that's exactly what I do. I have clothes made here. I bring them back to Canada and I sell them during the summer. I'll introduce you to my producers. I'll show you everything. And she just started right then and there. She just said, if you love it, trust it. Take out an advance from your credit card, get, do whatever you need to do to get the cash, buy as much inventory as you can and bring it back with you and just trust that if you have it, a place to sell it will open up. If you believe in it and you have it, it will open up. And I'm so grateful for her saying that because that was logical and that made sense to me. I thought, you know, that is how energy works. So I did it. She took me to her producers. I met them. They were wonderful. I had clothes made. I flew home with two huge bags of clothes and I um, sold them during that summer at an outdoor um, market. And it was a hit. Everyone was like, I remember one woman telling me, I'm going to remember you, cotton flower clothing. You're going places. She's like, I'm going to see this brand again. Wow. That is incredible. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things to pull there. Okay. So how many years ago was that? So it's 2021 now. That was in 2014 in the spring. So that was six years ago. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the evolution. So where is Cottonflower at now, six years later? Now, uh, now it's definitely my full-time job. There are seven people who work there. Um, I have a, I don't know how to describe the 
well, it's like a decent sized warehouse space we're selling online. Um, and it's beautiful. It's a wonderful experience. It's been my greatest teacher. Now, it almost sounds like it was divinely orchestrated in a way about you following your, you know, inner guidance and your energy. It, it almost sounds too good to be true. So in the beginning, were there some, like when you came back, I mean, it almost, it sounds, it, it's almost like if anyone could create like this, everyone would create all these different <laughs> things that they could do. But what, in the beginning, were there some early, um, growth experiences oh, or painful yeah. that, you know, didn't flow as easily as you might've thought it would have? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, there were a couple different starts. There was that start that I had, but that only lasted the summer. Then winter came. I wasn't online yet. Um, and the market had ended and I needed money. It's not like I made a huge, um, income from just selling those two bundles of clothes, you know? And so I went and I got an office job. It was a nine to five. And at this time, I was living in Minneapolis. I okay. flew back to Minneapolis to sell the clothes because my friend had a house on the river and I could live there for free. And I needed that at that time. Like, I had right. taken a cash advance out on my credit card to buy all this inventory. Like, I had no money. None. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was divine that my friend even was like, come and live with me on this river. Right. So, um did that and then by the end of the summer i thought i i gotta get a straight job basically so i got a well it's really eight to five (laughs) (laughs) i was there for a year and during that year in an office grayscale literally everything was gray inside you know no windows that open to the outside world i really realized during that time that i'm i'm not employable I can't just I need to have freedom I need to follow my own rhythm and my own inspiration when the inspiration hits to be able to go with that motion and um, being on someone else's timetable was not for me Um, but I'm grateful to that job because I was able to save enough money to leave Minneapolis and have some savings and um, at that time, cotton flower was dormant. It didn't exist until, well, came to California, and then there's a whole story behind all of that, but I ended up in Albuquerque. And I was with a relatively new boyfriend who was questioning me about my past, and he discovered that cotton flower had existed. And he asked me questions about the suppliers and the numbers, and he was like, I, you know, I think this could be a real business. Let's let's do it again. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing it again. It felt like too much for me. It was a lot of responsibility and a lot of like, where do you start? You know, how do I sell the clothes? Where? Like the branding, all these things. And I agreed to it. So I started it again. That was like Cotton Flower 2.0. And what year was this? This was now in 2016. Okay. Yeah. That's right. 
2016. So you restarted it. So it wasn't, this is, this is fascinating, I think, just to sort of follow the journey of it in a way, because it wasn't like, you know, you got the idea, the inspiration, the guidance in Thailand, and then it was like, you know, rags to riches, everything worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is, this is helpful for, I mean, I'm, I'm inspired hearing it, but for everyone else listening too, who does want to create something that there are twists and turns to this journey. So it sounds like for a little while you let it go because you needed to, you know, shore up the sort of the center and whether it's finances or whatever stability you needed. And then you're in Albuquerque, you're in New Mexico Mm -hmm. and, and we can thank this boyfriend for partially as part of the energy that sort of reignites it in you so what happens so then where does it go from there so then it goes into yoga festivals Mm. so he and i traveled all over the country selling um cotton flower at yoga festivals and it was a huge hit people loved the material it was it was kind of like my whole vision coming true the vision of like being able to actually get good yoga clothing in real yogi's hands and seeing them try them on and they just start dancing immediately and doing yoga and walking around the festival on the last day and seeing cotton flower everywhere like on all the bodies you know dancing at the concerts and people are dancing in cotton flower the clothes that i had brought so that That was really 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 gratifying (laughs) (laughs) that was really rewarding and um with that it that sort of solidified the existence of cotton flower. That definitely did. Just being able to see why I had done it and to see that it was a service to people that created happiness and allowed them to be um, comfortable in their bodies and express themselves joyously. This is, if you've tried on the clothes, you would know what I'm talking about, but just um, the material lends to, it's so light that it lends to kind of moving a little bit more fluidly and joyously and did you have any sort of you didn't have any previous business experience or whatever like how did the business side was there a big learning curve there like figuring out the blocking and tackling of budgeting and inventory and how much you needed to order versus sales and marketing like how did how did that come together oh yeah yeah it was yeah all taught by trial and error and i'd say my biggest learning points were the emotional aspects of not being on the teat, so to speak, you know, like not having a steady, reliable income coming in, knowing that I was creating this myself and that I had to be self-initiating all the time. I had so many sleepless nights in the beginning, like after the yoga festivals ended, that relationship ended, I moved to Austin and lived at my mom's house in Austin, Texas. And I kept cotton flower going and I they have so many outdoor markets there. So I kept on doing that. And then I was alone. I didn't have a partner in on it with me. It was just me doing all of it. And <clears throat> you know, all of it entails a lot of a lot of things. <laughs> but it was a lot of work. Um and during that time I had a lot of sleepless nights just wondering like is this going nowhere? Like, am I wasting my time and my money building something that isn't going to work out? And I really had to uh, face negative thinking at that point in time and hear my thoughts 
and recognize that they would be the death of me if I believed in them, you know? What kept you going? Knowing that I wasn't employable. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Honestly. But I, I, I love that, and that resonates with me so, you know, in particular, but also so many people... It's it's funny because it's almost flipping this thing that feels like a negative to be like, I can't be employed <laughs> in these normal situations that are not working for people that are frustrating where they feel like their creativity is stifled, where they can't grow. So you use that as sort of a, like, I have to make this work. There was no plan B because plan B would be going and getting a job, which I knew I couldn't do. So anytime I had a negative thought about cotton flower, I would think of the alternative and I was like, nope, can't do that. I love that. I, I have to just that. keep plugging away at this. See, that, I that, I mean, like I said, you're almost like a, a modern real life unicorn because <laughs> to be in touch with your spirit and your being and to say, okay, I can't exist in these normal sort of systems that feel very oppressive to me. Like, I have to make this work. And you did. And okay, so then what, yeah. so what, tell me about forming a team and making it sort of sustainable into where you are now. Ah. Because, because it sounds like through that period you were still in, not fight or flight, but in, in real hustle mode. Yeah. And real yeah. against all odds, you know. How, yeah. how, how has it evolved into sort of a sustainable lifestyle for you now? Well, the real change for that happened when I got online. So, um, so how long after the business sort of started did you get online? Was it a couple of years later? I got later? online at the beginning of 2017. Okay. So I had I left I bought Angelica, which is where we're sitting now. Right. Um, in San Antonio, I left Austin on January 1st, drove to Southern California, which is where I'm from, and built out Angelica there. And while I was there um, at my dad's house, I got the inspiration. I'm gonna get on Etsy and see if that's a way to do it. Because I never saw myself having a retail store. So I wanted to be free. I mean, my whole mission with this is for me to, to have freedom with my time. So I don't want to be tied into certain hours, even if they're hours set by me. I don't want to do that either, you know? So, um, yeah, it was at my dad's place. My stepmom took some photos of me wearing the clothes. I put them up on Etsy and immediately started making sales. Like, good sales. Immediately. It was astounding. I was like, okay, I'm in business. This was this is the before plan. you even had a website of your own, or was it? Yeah, I didn't have any website. Really? Mm-hmm. So this is Etsy about 20... I think it's interesting to just look at the cultural landscape of where things are. So this is Etsy 2017. Mm-hmm. You go on there, and the sales start. But also, you had seeded the ground in terms of you'd been at festivals, you'd been at markets. So some people had probably heard of it, or you'd, 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 you had planted seeds that... You know, then the online mechanism allowed you to amplify. Yeah. I don't think any of those festival people knew to look for me on Etsy at okay. that point in time. But during that year of 2017, I continued to go to the yoga festivals. And then every time I'd go to a festival afterward, I would notice an increase of sales. So I think the festivals were really good promotion opportunities, too. Because by then I was like, they're like, where do you sell? Where are you from? Oh, I'm, I sell on Etsy and I'd give them my card. So then they'd take a piece home, they loved it, and then they'd probably order a few more or order more at a later point in time. So it started to build like that. Okay. And then so from that from that to Etsy 2017 to sort of now, 
what does it look like now? Like, how has it evolved in sort of its current day, you know? Yeah. And, and I want to hear where it is now in the middle of a pandemic, sort of like how it's going. So Yeah. Well, I, I kind of like to pause and go back to Thailand. Because Please. that's a huge... Uh, <laughs> you'll see you'll see why but basically um once it, the it started get, getting going on Etsy um I was able to get an assistant and that allowed me to go back to Thailand which I needed to do in order to create new styles and get a few new producers because the one I was working with was getting maxed out and so I went back to Thailand. Now this is five years later after I had been there the previous time. And I'm like, now I'm on my own. I don't have someone to show me new producers. I'm just like, okay, so I'm making prayers all the time. Like, please guide me to find these producers who are trustworthy, who have good product. You know, this is like a big deal. I really need good quality people to work with. So... I first day that I'm there to go to the market, I make this prayer and I tell my guides just like pull on my shoulder to tell me the direction to go as I walk through this fabric district to find somebody. And so I go in there and it's effortless. I end up just walking directly to this woman who has gauze cotton, which is what our material is walk up the stairs I see the gauze cotton in the breeze I look at her and there's like a halo effect going on I'm like okay so I walk over to her and I start talking to her and I hear someone behind me say Sarah and I turn around and it's the silver-haired woman with the pixie cut wow she's behind me and she's like what are you doing here and I turn I'm just astounded I couldn't believe she was there and I said I'm here looking for a new producer. And I said, I haven't been here since I saw you last. And she said, me either. No it way. It was her first day. Wow. Also, she had just arrived. She hadn't been there in five years. And she then said, That almost gives me the chills. This woman to... that you're talking to is great. You can trust her. Okay? Wow. So guided. That's what I'm saying. Divinely like, guided. Yeah, and it's not just my it's not my mission. I honestly feel that I'm just a vessel for who knows where it's coming from, but the consciousness, maybe it's the earth possibly. Mm -hmm. Something is using me to bring healing clothing to people. <laughs> that's basically it. Right. And I'm also willing, and I think that that's how spirit works is those who are willing who yeah. are willing to surrender to not forcing things to look a certain way but to simply asking how can I serve right. and what's needed and do that um, it works out really well so, okay so you're so you're in Thailand there you found you you have this mystical reconnection <laughs> with the person who kind of helped you birth the idea in a way yeah. um, then do you do you come back and expand or at this yeah, point are you in back, California? Yeah, I came back to California. I had I had moved here, so when I was in Southern California is when I got on Etsy. Six months into that year is when I drove Angelica, which is where we're sitting now, um, up to Sebastopol because I had seen 
in my visions that this would be a good place for me to put in my roots. I had been traveling like all of my 20s basically um, and I was really desiring to just put roots down. So I saw this place as being that place that I would be in for a long time and sure enough once I got here cotton flower just completely expanded like there's something energetically about landing in a place you're meant to be in that and me agreeing to putting in down roots um, that really made the business just burst open with abundance and people wanting to work with me that was when I went back to Thailand I expanded the line came back got all the photos up online and by this point we had a website and um, is this around 2017 2018 the Thailand trip was the very beginning of 2018 yes yeah okay or 19 no 18 okay gosh I don't know but so, but I just I like looking at the evolution of it. So you you had an assistant, and that probably freed you up in ways to. Okay, twenty nineteen. <laughs> so you so you you got an assistant, and then because it sounds like committing to sort of a place where you wanted to be and want to build it, that also allowed it to grow more. Absolutely, because everywhere I had lived before, I didn't want to put my roots down. Right. Because I knew it wasn't right for me. Right. So. Did you end up having to take investment or did you just funnel resources that you'd made back into the company? How did you expand it? Oh, um, I never had to take investment. The only like loan in air quotes that I took out was in 2017 when I had first started on Etsy. Um, and I realized the, the growth that was happening and that I needed to purchase a lot of inventory and I had to do so with cash. I couldn't use a credit card to buy it. So I finagled <laughs> a plan to get cash. I basically, um, went on to slick deals, used credit cards, bought camera kits, like Canon camera kits. And then I sold the individual pieces of the kits on eBay which deposited actual cash into my bank account, which I then used to buy inventory. So when I moved up to Sebastopol, I had a lot of credit card debt from all of that investment. But during that year, after being in Sebastopol, I paid all of it off. And then I had extra and I was just... So you had to really hustle to sort of cobble it together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm just, it's, it's fascinating because now, you know, that it's like a healthier, growing successful brand it's sort of like i think for a lot of people the sort of how did one get here piece is so big um well now what's it like in terms of managing with people has it been hard to work with another country like how's like how do you communicate like how does that i love the thai people i love working with them it it hasn't been hard i mean there's sometimes language issues but um I've learned how to speak very, very simply, and thank goodness Google Translate works too. So when we're communicating through email, sometimes we'll use Google Translate, we use a lot of pictures, and of course numbers. Um, working with Thailand has been wonderful. They're really trustworthy worthy people. Okay. And then, what was your other part of your question? Well, I think just sort of here? dovetailing into that, I guess what I would ask is like, what do you love about running a business and what do you hate about it? Mm. 
Oh gosh, I love running a business. Oh my goodness. Okay. It was really hard for me to do it when it was just me because now I can see that what I love about it is actually having a team. I love um, inspiring and empowering the people that I work with. Um, I've had one guy, but other than him, there's been all women and all of them younger than me. And I've really enjoyed treating them the way that no employer has ever treated me. I treat them with so much dignity and I always ask for their opinion. I ask them what they would do in certain situations. Um, I help them in their personal lives to follow their intuition, to trust themselves. For me, Cotton Flower is a way to do my mission, <laughs> which is to help people trust themselves and express themselves freely. So in terms yeah. of where it is sort of now, I mean, I think I looked on Etsy just when I was sort of, you know, preparing myself for this. And I mean, would you say, have you sold like, you know, I mean, thousands and thousands of pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So stuff like that. So it's, so it's really grown into a way that it's, it's sustaining itself now. Oh yeah. Um, do you want to grow more or, or what's, what's your kind of, you know, it's funny I'm not like a typical business owner, perhaps, because I'm just stepping from one stone to the next as the next one appears in front of me. I don't have like a goal that I'm trying to reach unless I see one that's presented to me as like, this is where you're going. So it's growing and I'm always trying to grow it because um, it's such a healing thing. It's a good thing for it to grow. People right. love it. And um, I think the team that we have working there is also a really beautiful thing. So I'm really up for the challenge of having a bigger team. I really want to do that. Okay. So that that's a big motivator for me to grow the business. Right. Is like is part of that feeling like you're putting out a better more sustainable product than they could otherwise be wearing yeah oh yeah definitely a huge mission is to simply provide accessible uh natural clothing yeah because when i when i look at it i mean there's so many cool facets to your story your journey and where cotton flower is now there's a lot of layers and one layer is how important how we feel in our body and what we're wearing has such a big direct correlation to that so in a way it's sort of like you know you're sort of providing a healing service absolutely you know and and i mean is that is that part of the greater vision that you know providing for lack of a better term you know an external uniform where people get to feel more free in themselves absolutely it's huge. It has a big effect what we put on our bodies. Totally. And I and just going back, is it mainly women's clothing? Is there some men's? There's or... a men's line and okay. it's it's growing and growing. There's actually more men's orders every day. Now so... in terms of do you find that most of the the base right now is it, you know, in the yoga world in California, in Brooklyn or on the coast, are you finding it like 
are you hoping to bring it to other areas or where does where do you feel about that now because it's online and because we're still on etsy um it's literally everywhere honestly i mean we ship worldwide most of our orders are in the u.s um, but we have a lot in canada and europe um, australia and in terms of the u.s every state is covered um a lot of younger people on the spiritual path for sure um, one of our features is that our prices aren't crazy high and that's mm. a common thing in spirituality that's taught is know your worth and charge a lot you know that's encountered a lot people charge a lot of money for courses or helpful information or um yeah natural clothing it'll be like a hundred dollars for a pair of leggings and to me that's just ridiculous like young people don't have that kind of money and they want to feel good there's a lot of young people on the spiritual path who want to connect to earth and expand themselves and change the status quo and i want to make organic clothing accessible to them so right. And how did you come up with the name Cottonflower? And why is a lion the logo, part mm. of the logo? Well, Cottonflower, because um, as a woman, wearing the clothing makes me feel like like the clothing is like petals and I'm the flower. So uh. the Cottonflower is the woman. Um, and then the lion logo... Well, I'm a Leo, <laughs> full disclosure, <laughs> Leo's son. Um, and I just, I love the lion represents courage and strength um, in a calm way. So it's like the healthy masculine. So we use the image of the lion and then in the lion's mane, it's filled with butterflies and flowers and little insects and so there's just the divine feminine this it's like this courageous calm confident male lion sitting in this divine feminine earthy environment and that is that's the energy that i want to share with cotton flower with the clothes i think this is a perfect dovetail and segue into sort of who you are as a person and how you got here um it fits, that just matches exactly with, with what I wanted to ask you. So, where were you born in? 83. Okay, 83. Now, so we're, exact, we're only the exact same age, same birth year. Mm -hmm. um, where did you grow up? Tell me about your upbringing a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Southern California, in the L.A. area. Um and I came into the world as a very happy soul in a very depressed environment. What did that environment look like? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's... Paint a picture for We'll go me. from the, the outer. So, like, the macro environment was smog-ridden. Um, it was L.A. before the Environmental Clean Air Act's. And it, the air quality was horrendous. Like, we often weren't allowed to run. Um, a lot of people had asthma. Couldn't see the mountains, even though they were right there. So that was depressing. Um, and I thought, you know, my connection to the earth really developed 
then also just wanting to help clean it up and live in a beautiful place um, but then the emotional environment of my family was really really dark like my parents um, weren't emotionally healthy people they didn't know how to communicate with one another they had a really oh, I'd say like a violent divorce like just to sum it up, I'll, just to paint a little picture of how, how bad it, it was, my mother left my dad and drained all of their shared bank accounts so he had no money, and then my dad stole me away at age two and hid me from my mother, and I was still breastfeeding. So this is like, and that, that kind of battle between them ensued for my entire childhood and they still have not talked to one another since I was two. Wow. Yeah. And both of them continued to fight over having me for my whole life. So it was like that, <laughs> like that kind of environment. Okay. So you were born, from, <laughs> you were born from fire in a way. I guess so. It was really intense. And yet here I was within my own body, like, looking out on it, knowing that it was wrong, knowing that this was like sad, you know, and thank goodness I had wonderful friends always. And my escape would be to go to school and, or go be in my own room. I had my own little worlds. Uh. So I continued to maintain my separateness from that situation. Do you remember sort of feelings as a little girl? Did you feel like something was off here? Oh, or yeah. did you feel, so you felt, how did the conflict, like, how did you make sense of it, you know, as you were developing, I mean, as a, as a child? It was really confusing. I, I can't say that I made sense of it, but I knew that it didn't make sense. I, I would hear my dad say bad things about my mom, and yet I loved my mom, so it didn't make sense. But I loved him too, so I, you know, it was just confusing. How did this all sort of manifest in your journey? Like, were there any bumps along the way, like going into middle school and high school? Like, what kind of person, like, how did you, how did you become fully, fully, I mean, now I see you where you are, you, you're building something you're proud of and all that, but take us through a little bit of the journey. Like, what were you into in high school? You know, did you act mm -hmm. out in ways because of this or how did you find outlets? Like what, mm. take us through your, your sort of, uh hero's journey in that time yeah well um I didn't act out I oh. did you internalize things it was hard for me to really know who I was and what I was into because my father has narcissistic personality disorder and so he was always telling me what I liked, but it was what he liked. And anything that I would try to do that I was really interested in, he would criticize. So I had to hide my life until I finally got to escape and go to college, which was the best time ever. Um, <laughs> but I led a very private life. I had a lot of friends and I loved school, um, but whenever I was home, I stayed in my room a lot or I would be out with friends in the neighborhood and I didn't have any extracurricular activities because of the 
the stifling of my own interests. And he and I are so different. We didn't have shared interests. Um, so that was something that I, a journey that I really had to go on in my 20s to discover who I was, what was I really into, and to allow that to come out into the world and to tell people what I was interested in, what I loved. Um, because when there's a block there, when someone shuts down your expression, it shuts it down internally too, you know? Totally. Yeah. How did you kind of unblock that or, or what was the, like the process of understanding that? Yeah. Um, I think it really got unblocked when my Saturn return happened. Around what age is that? 27. 27, okay. Yeah. I, I had a lot of, in, like, powerful, in air quotes, <laughs> men in my family who really took an interest in trying to direct my path. That'd be my father, my stepfather, and my grandpa. Mm. And that put me in law school. So, really? Okay. So I was in law school, I was in the beginning of my third year, and in San Diego, and my Saturn return, like, hit pretty suddenly. I was, I remember having the epiphany that I didn't like the environment there, I didn't like the environment of the adversarial competition of lawyers and lawyering and dealing with people's problems all the time, all of that was not something that I was enjoying. And I finally had the epiphany that I didn't have to do that, that I could actually do what made me feel good, whatever I wanted to do. So in that very moment, I drove to school and I withdrew. And then I was In your third year? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. I mean, just for contextualizing things. Usually, I mean, law school is only three years, right? Mm -hmm. So you had come to the third year and you withdrew. Yeah, I was making a statement. Definitely. Yeah, I withdrew. I went to China. I taught English in China. I didn't tell my family I withdrew. I told them I was on a study abroad. I didn't want to answer any questions. I just wanted to be, I was like, putting up that boundary. Like, no more. This controlling family, you know. Um, and then began this, a whole reclaiming. <laughs> Spiritual journey, yeah, spending a year in China and then um, a bunch of time in India doing Tantra yoga. They're really surrendering and melting into the oneness, getting a lot of spiritual experience that has completely changed my life. Did you always feel drawn to spirituality or how did you... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a kid, I... Oh, that's a whole other thing. Um, uh, the area where I grew up is, is kind of dangerous. Um, so my parents had decided I needed to go to a private school. So they put me in the nearest private school, which was a seventh day Adventist school. Um, it's a little culty. It's kind of a weird religion. And my parents never claimed to be seventh day Adventist and they didn't really know what I was being taught there. Um, but I was completely indoctrinated at the time. <laughs> anyway, there were a lot of negative things to it, but one of the positive things was the relationship that I developed with the spirit of Christ. And to me, it was Jesus who loved me unconditionally 
and I remember singing songs to Jesus and songs about love and feeling his presence, like this presence of just this unconditional love coming from a masculine archetype. And I loved it. I loved Jesus. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really gave me a foundation of innocence in my heart. What did, like, what at that time did Jesus represent for you? Um, unconditional love and compassion for people in all situations, seeing the best in them. The stories of him, like, washing the whore's feet, you know, stood out right. to me a lot. So, so that resonated with you. Yeah. Was this part of sort of, as you said earlier, feeling like you weren't employable? Like, how did your sort of inner sort of spiritual, like the understanding that kind of almost like can feel at odds with the outer world? Like here's like, like that seems to be an area where you were kind of like getting some reclaiming of yourself in a way did you feel like in the outer world that wasn't as supported? Um, you know, I mean, like, I, I feel like if you were saying that you felt like you weren't employ employable in a way, like, where's that disconnect with, like, feeling internally fed by spirituality or by Jesus, but then being in the outer world and feeling like maybe people don't get or understand Sarah? Ah, uh. Wow, there is a connection there, and I think it's that I'm always staying connected to guidance, and it probably has to do with that strong foundation in uh, connection with the spiritual entities or spiritual world or, like, the great unknown, or when I was younger, it was called God. And so always being aware of how I was being guided by that greater unconditional love force, you know, and wanting to, as an adult, wanting to follow that guidance in each moment. And therefore <laughs> I wasn't employable because if my guidance for that day was, um, I don't know, to, create something or to heal myself in some way and yet I had to wake up really early in the dark and drive to work and sit at a desk and sit there all day like that was just killing that connection mm. that I was That's wanting was, to live right, by right yeah so it almost felt at odds with something you knew to be true inside yourself yeah I mean I think there's a lot of things fascinating about your journey but one it's rare to meet people who are spiritually inclined and in touch with that force of themselves and then also to have started a business that's almost that's such a cool because it takes a lot of courage to do that because usually those things don't seem to mesh well traditionally you know there's like kind of the spirit world and people feeling like they have to protect that energy and be free and then actualizing that into the real world which can feel very cutthroat and feel like it can break your heart and break your spirit it seems like you found a way to marry those later hmm. and and in ways you you just you, you don't see that often you usually feel like it's like well there's like the business 3d world where people are you know building things and then there's the spirit world but bringing those two together and it feels like it was kind of happened in your path you know yeah it's really all one thing i mean being on the spiritual path is what 
is what has created abundance for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's what gives me courage. Because by being on the spiritual path, I know that it's not me doing anything. So therefore, I don't. I can release fear of not having enough or not doing the right thing. I. I mean, I can fully just trust my guidance of my body and my intuition. Um, and release any sense of feeling like I'm doing it as the person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. What are some of sort of the painful lessons that catapulted you to where you are now? Like, what what did you have to sort of use as alchemy? Sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to take this and sort of repurpose it. Yeah, well, I'd say having a narcissistic father has made me so resilient um maybe a little overboard sometimes <laughs> with like no this is what i'm doing you know i've had to put up so many boundaries mm. that that applies to everyone now naturally like i'm not going to i'm not very well influenced by the opinions of others because of the father who was always trying to tell me how to be and what I liked and didn't like and always trying to intervene. I mean, at some point I had to ward that off and use the light work to create major boundaries and do it with love because it's my father. Like I actually love him too, Right. you know? Anyway, so that's been a big gift. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just keep courage keeps coming up for me in your journey. How, you've had to almost like turn away from a lot of traditional, what would seem supportive, like, oh, Sarah, we know better for you. The world knows, your family knows better for you. And you're like, no, like I know my own soul here and I have to protect and fertilize that in order to grow it. And you've stood in that powerfully. Yeah. On the other side of that, so like, what's it been like being like a human, being a woman in this world? Like, where have you felt empowered and where have you sort of felt trapped like stuck like you know your experience Mm. growing as a woman yeah um I've always been really happy to be a woman and mm, the only time I had a negative experience was when I was working in that office and I saw I've worked in other offices too it's always been in the office (laughs) where there's you know, it's basically run by older men and they cross boundaries. They'll invade physical space and that would create anger in me where I was like, this is fucked up. Like, do not touch my hair, you know? Like, and um, that was an issue. But ever since I've left that world and had my own business and forged my own path, it's really a blessing to be a woman um I don't find anything negative about it whatsoever um in the past of course I don't know if it was because I was a woman but there were those men in my family who were trying to control my path they thought they knew better than me Mm -hmm. so I don't know if I was a male if it would have been any different or not um but I definitely have noticed that I have a strong skepticism toward older white men, which is unfortunate, but 
I don't treat anyone else that way. Everyone else, I'm like open right from the beginning, like, hi, I love you. But when it's an older white man, I approach cautiously. I'm always like, I wait until they show me that they're a good person before I can trust them. I think that's understandable, considering where the history yeah. we've, <laughs> we've had and what has happened with that group. So, so, so these days, I'm curious, like, how you're feeling, like, are there any areas in your life where you feel sort of like stuck or like where you feel like the the dream and the full purpose of Sarah you want to actualize? Like what's what's draining you these days? Hmm. Well, I recognize that the stepping stones of cotton flower sometimes make my focus there's like these growth points in it like when I see a new stone in front of me that's when the business is is doing an expansion and it hasn't been like a steady upward expansion it's like there's these these peaks that happen and whenever there's a peak going on which is what's happening right now I have so much energy going into that that my the other areas in my life that I desire, there's not as much room for me to explore in those areas like, like, um, dating or just hanging out with people, not doing much, you know, letting random things arise that could be fun. It's like, I have a focus, you know? And so that can be draining at times, but I always try to remind myself that there is an end to this and it's just getting getting that growth of cotton flower to the place that I see it being and then I can rest and relax and renew the other areas of my life yeah because it's 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 interesting to look at sort of like on one hand you've built something beautiful and empowering and actualize a dream and on the other hand, it's really interesting to sort of honestly check in and be like, okay, where are you right now? Do you feeling free? Are you feeling this like ever stream? Are you feeling like creative or are you feeling exhausted mm. or both? You know, because I think in order to sort of look at the human collective where we all are, first we look at well, where am I? You know, like where do you feel trapped? Are you... You know, are there things like happening in your day to day or your own ecosystem that you find frustrating where you're like, why isn't this happening? Or I, I, you know, I want this to be, um, and I think a lot of that is tied to our spiritual and emotional journey, Mm -hmm. sort of like where, you know, like where aren't things like. I mean, that doesn't take away that you've moved mountains with this business and you've created a dream that a lot of people feel like they can't do or would want to do or don't even know it's possible. But at the same point, it's like, well, if we're looking at this life, it's like, this is Sarah's go around, you know, to create. Like, do you feel like you're where you want to be interpersonally? Absolutely. I do. I I don't feel trapped. I can't say that... That's not realistic because I'm choosing this. Um, I'm never trapped. I can always make a different choice. To feel trapped is like an emotional indulgence. Mm. 
and maybe a wave of that will come every now and then, but I'm pretty good at dropping in and keeping myself in check with reality, you know, and not indulging in negative thinking or um, emotions that aren't leading to anything positive. So 